0: Well, I did, uh, entitled the uh, devotional um, today "Be Ready to Give a Reason: The Clinician and Apologetics," and as I thought about that <laughs> subject, um, it was also it was based on the text in First Peter chapter three. So, turning your Bibles to First Peter chapter three, verse fifteen and sixteen. 1 Peter, chapter 3, verse 15 and 16. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, Those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. So, this is a powerful text, and we can learn several lessons from it that I thought of today. First off, the text indicates that we should live questionable lives. (laughs) Our lives should be filling people's minds with questions. Uh, Do you live a questionable life? Do you live a life where people want to ask you about the hope that is in you? Um, And, uh, you know, I was on the plane the other day coming here and I sat between two gentlemen and I said, how can I live a questionable life that they might ask a reason for the hope that is in me? (laughs) And uh began praying about that. And then I began reading my Bible. And I started going, Mmm! Wow! Amen! Mm, praise the Lord! Not quite that loud, you know. It wasn't like some kind of spiritual Tourette syndrome. But it was, it, was, it was loud enough where people were like, you know, and the, and the man, first of all, he goes... And the man goes like this. And uh, the man by the window said that must be very exciting what you're reading. I said why would you say that? He goes well it's not usual really. I've never sat by someone like this before. What is it you're exactly reading? Amen. How many of you want to be questionable? So you know, when I used to work in the in a trauma center, in an emergency room for a number of years of my life, another way that I thought practically to be questionable was to take my Bible with me. How many of you remember what a Bible is? I mean, that looks like a physical Bible. Way, way good, very good. And I would just take that Bible with me to the emergency room, and I would set it down. Boom. Right there. How many of you do that? Do you take your Bible with you to work? You do? Anyone else? All right, we got three people, four or five. Okay, you take your Bible to work, but you put people to sleep. You're an anesthetist. I mean, it doesn't matter in your, your line of work. Okay. Um, <laughs> but this is, this is very important, I think. Not only I think, I know. And I remember some uh, physicians that I work with, I don't know if any of you know Dr. John Doogie, he's a cardiologist, and uh, he, would, he would always bring his, his Bible or something, and, and, uh, or a little Spirit of Prophecy book, and he would just have it out there. And uh, this made a huge impression on the staff. I would hear them talking about it. And the other thing that made a great impression was how calm he was during a code. You know, it didn't do any good for people to not be calm, you know. That's not going to help anybody. And they made this link between the fact that he had his Bible and he was calm. Um, And I I believe, you know, be ready to give an answer. Well, uh, well, make sure someone's going to ask the question, you know. Now, another thing, I don't know, um, not only taking your Bible, but how many of you you like to sing? How many of you sing at work? Nice. What do you sing? You do? Could you? What do you sing? Sing for us a little bit. <laughs> Look, you know this is this is very important. I think, you know, the lollards, um, really meant you know lullaby. And that part of the Reformation, they they were so enthused with what they had learned from Tyndale's translation into the vernacular that they would just they were humming, you know, lullaby, Lollards, and I think that uh, this not only um, <laughs> will raise questions depending on how loud you sing, but it it also it helps you as well, you know. And and, and I think think the thing he's saying is scripture. I would recommend scripture, you know. Now, in my line of work, which is multifaceted, but one of my lines of work is to get up every morning and walk with my students at 6 in the morning. So I walk an hour every day with my students. And, you know, if you don't stay focused, you can get into many different areas of conversation. And so I like to be focused, you know. So I write songs, and then I teach them songs. Like last week, I was meditating on collisions. I call it collisions because it's for the collisions of life. Colossians chapter 3. And so, you know, I wrote a little song. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly In all wisdom and teaching Warning others in psalms and hymns And spiritual songs singing with joy in your heart to the Lord. You like it? Sing it. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. In all wisdom and teaching. Warning others in psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs singing with joy in your heart to the Lord. I mean it's a simple course, right? But all through the week. I heard them singing that song. You know? One was complaining, and the other said, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know? I'm like, yes! And also with your kids. You know, my kids were, they, uh, they went out on the Sabbath, and they were at this, uh, uh, we were at some other place, and the people had kayaks and everything else, and, and, uh, They got in the kayaks and they were in the river and they started swimming. And I thought, you know, this is not really something that they should be doing necessarily on Sabbath to this, uh, you know, intentional thing. And I mean, you might disagree with me, but so, you know, they disagreed with me. They disagreed with their father. And uh, I realized, man, I'm not going to turn this around with a normal uh, divine statement from on high. I, being your father, do admonish you not to do this. Thou shalt not. So that did not work. So I said, yeah, i got to write a song. i got to write a song. You want to hear the song I came up with? Based on Isaiah 58, verse 13 and 14. Um, let's see, how does that go? If, if you turn away your foot from the Sabbath... From doing your pleasure on my holy day. And call the Sabbath a delight. The holy day of the Lord honorable. And shall honor him. Not doing your own way. Nor seeking your own pleasure nor speaking your own words. Then you shall delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father for the mouth of the Lord, hath spoken. Sing it with me. And you shall delight thyself in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, at first they were like, Oh, Dad, you embarrassed us singing these songs, you know, and everything else. But then I heard my little son, James. And you shall, he's got a big voice, Delight thyself in the Lord. He's in his room. And I will cause you to run And then at breakfast, and I will feed you with the heritage, Jacob, your father. They're eating breakfast, you know. And then I hear them singing to each other. And pretty soon, they're talking about what that text means. Can you say amen? And uh, so, I, I mean, how is it that you can become questionable? Uh, they give a reason for the hope that is in you. You know, more direct approach is, I remember a nurse I was working with when I was, uh, you know, a kid. I was, what was I, 23 or something like that. Um, it's like a kid said to me, I said, he goes, I'm 16 years old and you just don't understand me. And I said, actually, I've been 16 quite a number of times. <laughs> so, uh, the first time was the hardest though, I said, I admit that, but. Sometimes, you know, you live a questionable life. Arlene was a nurse that worked with me, and she thought, you know, your witness is really, uh, I mean, I had no witness then really to speak of. I was a bad witness. And I remember one day she said to me, Don, would you, would you come into the dirty utility room with me? And I was like, sure, you know. I thought she was going to have me wash some pans or something. Uh, I went in there, and she could, this man, come down here. She was short, about four feet tall maybe four or two, and when I, knee, when I leaned down, she grabbed my neck, and she began hitting me on the top of the head with a bed pad. This was basically assault and battery, but, and, I, and before I knew what happened, I said, what, why are you doing this? And she said, you are a terrible nurse. <laughs> you don't care about the patients, you're only talking to the nurses. And then I noticed, you know, after that I was afraid. I was kind of sneaking around, you know. And everyone was laughing because I had been beat up by this 62-year-old nurse. And uh, But then I noticed what she did. She just lived for the patients. She went in and rubbed their backs. She went in and gave them warm blankets. And she did so much for the people she worked for. And what she was trying to get into my head with the bedpan was (laughs) that I needed to live a life like the life that she had chosen to live. So, number one, in our text today, for those of you just coming in from a wonderful night of extended sleep, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. And our first point was, this text indicates that we should live questionable lives. How many of you want to be a little more questionable than you've been? Did I give you some practical ideas? How many think these are not going to work for me? Wait. Folks don't give up so easily. I know it works. I've been doing it many years. Number two, the question we asked this morning is why is it why is it that Peter says we have hope? If the question is and if the reason they're asking a question is because we have hope. Why is it that Peter says we have hope? Let me think it's important to know why it is you have hope. Okay, two of you. Good, excellent. Well, let's just look at Peter just a minute. First Peter chapter 1, verse 20. He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Verse 21, thus your faith and hope are in God. What what is this? What's this talking about him? He was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times. What is that? Thank you for that robust response. What is that? What's it talking about? All right, resurrection, but also incarnation. The incarnation. He came. He was, as it says in Timothy, manifest in the flesh. How many think that is an important thing to dwell on? How many think that gives us hope? Was there a man named Jesus? Did he enter into human history? Did God come down? Should that fill us with hope? That first advent. Number two... In chapter 2 and verse 24 of 1 Peter. I know you're turning there with me this morning. I can hear the pages rustling. Who himself bore our sins in his own body on, a, on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. So not only was He manifests in the flesh. He died for us on Calvary's cross. And that should fill us with hope. How many of you have thought about that today? Look at that person next to you and say, you are a sinner. Look right at them. You are a sinner. Now look at them again and say, you are doomed. Without Jesus Christ. <laughs> You're doomed. I, you didn't say that to your wife. I, you Say it to your wife. You're doomed. Without Jesus Christ. How many say amen? So look, he not only was manifest in the incarnation, he died for your sins. And, you know... <laughs> You know, you need to have the assurance of damnation before you can appreciate the assurance of salvation. Is that true? Yes, amen. You, you. <laughs> you and I have nothing to bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. My hope is built on. Nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame. I think your wife is the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> so why do we have hope? Because of the Incarnation, because of redemption, And then First 1 Peter 1:3. 1, Look at 1 First Peter 1:3. 1, Blessed be the, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to His abundant mercy, has begotten us again to a what? Living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In other words, he came, He died, but he rose. the resurrection. We don't talk enough about the resurrection, do we? Apostle Paul, when he was witnessing in Acts 17, he started with the resurrection. And then he moved to creation. Again, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The resurrection and creation. And with the resurrection, he said, look, there's 500 people that saw it, and some of the apostles, and they're still alive. In other words, he went through the evidences of the resurrection. This is what filled him with hope because if he died and rose again, that's the ground of our hope. Amen? So the incarnation and then his redemption and then his resurrection. But not only that, 1 Peter three we're just looking contextually at what it means to give a reason for the hope that is in us. Notice... What it says, verse 22 of 1 Peter chapter 3, I hear the pages rustling. He was gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to Him. What's that all about? He not only was our incarnation, or He not only came in the incarnation, He not only died in redemption for us. He not only rose again, but what? What does it mean in the text we just read? All powers and principalities are subject to him. What's that mean? Everything. He he has power over everything. (laughs) How many of you ever felt, I don't have power over this. I don't know what I'm going to do. But he has no such question. He reigns. Uh, It reminds me of a little song I wrote two weeks ago. (laughs) How many think we should sing about that? We're going through the book of Colossians, chapter 2, verse 10, I think this is from. It goes, Ye are complete in Him. Ye are complete in Him. Ye are complete in Him. Ye are complete in Him, who is the head of all principality and power. Who is the head of all principality and power. Let's sing it together. Ye are complete in him, ye are complete in him. Ye are complete in him, ye are complete in him. him. Who is the head? Who is the head? Of all prince and power. Who is the head of all prince? and power. How many think this is wonderful? Look, I've got a problem today with my boss. (laughs) But he's well over that boss. Look, I had a problem with my board. (laughs) He's over the board. And I'm complete in him, in Christ. I'm complete. He's ahead. I don't know about you, but I think that's great. Amen? So Peter says... First Peter 1 Peter 1.20, he came, he was manifest, that's the incarnation. And then 1 Peter 2.24, he's our redemption. And First Peter 1 Peter 1.3, he's our resurrection. 1 Peter 3.22, he is above all principalities and powers. In other words, he came, he died, he rose, he reigns. Well, that's not all. First Peter 1 Peter 1:13. We need to give a reason for the hope that is in us. These are the contours of that hope. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He came, he died, he rose, he reigned, but he's coming again. Can you say hallelujah to that? He's coming again. One in every eight verses in the New Testament. He's coming. He's coming. Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again. We have this hope that burns in our hearts. Hope in the coming of the Lord. Amen. Came the first time. He's coming the second time. I just was talking to a patient just, just this week. And he said to me, he goes, you are weird. <laughs> I said, why do you say that? He says, you're just unusually happy. Of course, this is a depressed patient. And he goes, and you know, when I first met you about 10 days ago, you really irritated me. And I said, just think about my wife who's had to live with me for 26 years. (laughs) But he says, and I want to know why it is you're so happy. You seem to be so happy. Now, the interesting thing was, when I first met this person, he was not interested at all in anything that any of us had to say about the hope that is within us. But we did very questionable things all week, like we ate a plant-based diet. Why are you doing that? We dipped him in water that was 100 degrees and then 60 degrees. Why are you making us do this? We went out and exercised. Why are you doing that? But it began to work. (laughs) And so he began finally to ask questions. 2nd Peter 3:12 says that we're able to anticipate and hasten the coming of Christ. We can hasten the hope-filled day. So he came, he died, he rose, he reigns, he's coming again. And then 1st 1 Peter 1:7. 1, we're to be giving a reason for the hope that is in us. How many think we should know what that hope is? 1 Peter 1.7, that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire may be found to praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So why is it that we have hope Because he came, he died, he rose, he reigns, he's coming again. And when we know that, then we can revel and joy even in trials. We say, oh, whoa. (laughs) This is nothing. He's coming again. How many of you have learned how to count it all joy? I wish I could tell you More details about what I'm about to tell you, but even this past week, I have seen how the great controversy can be played out in ways that make me nervous. Oh, oh, I'm out there praying, and then the very thing I thought was very bad was actually Very good. And God was paving the way to bring a great victory. From my limited perspective, oh! But then, less than 24 hours later, I'm like, whoa! You know what you were doing. Uh, so, So now... I get more comfortable with that. I'm not quite as comfortable as I need to be. But I used to get kind of, you know, really worried. We, we, I work with my, my uh, right arm is Dr. Nedley. And uh, he opens the door to many hearts and minds as they come through there. And when people come to the and the recovery program, sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen. But I've learned that it's going to be probably seemingly bad the first couple of days, <laughs> and uh, I did talk to this gentleman whom I'm about to tell you about. So, it's with his permission I'm sharing this. But I remember this guy came and he was anxious, he was depressed, he was nervous, and then and and we told his his uh, his spouse that he needed to start addressing these things without her enabling him. To very bad behaviors, and so she says, "Okay, I'll leave." And she told him, "I'm leaving to go home, so you can work on these things without me enabling you." We didn't actually tell her to tell him that, but that's what she told him. And he was upset. He says, "I'm leaving," and he he ran out of the building. He left right then. He ran out of the building, and of course, I ran after him. And pretty soon we were running down a very busy four-lane highway. <laughs> and needless to say, I was a little nervous about this. I said, why don't we take the next exit? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, I thought, this is a fail. This is a big-time fail. This is, this is a disaster. This is a procedure gone wrong. As he called his relatives, and then the plane came and took him away. And I was like, whoa, fail. It was a few months later, I was at a large conference in San Antonio. And I was standing by a booth. And all of a sudden, someone came behind me and picked me up and began to swing me around like no one should do to a grown man. I'm not even sure they should have swung a small child like that. I mean, I was like a rag doll, just <laughs> round and around and around. And then as I was going, I don't know what the rotations per for minute, for minute were, but I noticed this lady that I kind of recognized as I would see her <laughs> every rotation. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute, where did I see that face before? as the centrifugal forces were uh, working their way. And uh, then the guy that was swinging me around goes, do you know who this is? And I said, this is not his name, but I said, is this John? And then he let me down. And And I said, John, you seem happy. (laughs) And he said, I am." I left the program. I was running down the highway, and I flew away. When I got home, I said, how stupid that was. All these people working to help me, helping me to rediscover hope, and then I went away, and here I am sitting at home. And so then he said, I decided I would do everything that you told us to do, and I, I got my job back. And I got my wife back. And I got my church back. And my life is filled with hope. But sometimes it seems like, you know, that was a very bad experience. And sometimes we're tempted when when things go that way to, to stop desiring to give answers. What's our text today? Verse Timothy 3, verse 15. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. So, we've talked about how, how the text says, wait, number one, live questionable lives. Right? And then number two, we said, well, what is that hope that people are going to see? Right? And we went through all those things. He 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 came, in the incarnation, right? He lived, he died, he rose, he reigns. So we can revel in who he is, even in trial. That's what we've done so far, right? But where is it, how is it that, that we're ready to do this? Our third and potentially final point, unless I change my mind. According to this text, where do we get the hope? How do are we ready to give an apologia? How are we ready to give a defense to everyone who asks us for the hope that's in us? You say, well, wait a minute. We go on the Internet and we get Mark Family's, Finley's book, Studying with Others. We, we buy the DVs from the, from the Adventist Apologetic Center. We, uh, none of those things are true in this text. Now, sometimes I think, now, I'm very happy for all those resources. In fact, I even have resources here this this weekend. Now, I'm not going to talk about them, but but anyway. (laughs) They're really my apologia, and you can learn from others, but what does this text say? Where is it? Where is it that you get your apologia? Your defense. What's it say in the text? Always sanctify the Lord your God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you with reasonable reason the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So where is it that you get this? It's that first phrase. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. This is not some complicated apologetic course at some seminary which can maybe even lead you astray while you're there. This is very practical. I like the ESV for 1 Peter 3.15. In your hearts, honor Christ as holy. One of the readings of that verse is as Christ is Lord, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart. In other words, The secret for getting hope is to magnify Christ as Lord in your heart, to look to Jesus, to set your mind on things above, not on things on earth because you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So set your mind on things above. Look at Christ and do that every day. Reverence him. I wrote a song about that. (laughs) You want to hear the song? Oh, by the way, you can watch the, you can listen to this later and, and learn the songs. Probably you're going. Well, you think I'm going to learn that song? My kids the other night at worship surprised me, and they sang all the songs that I, from the last several weeks. So I think we should ruminate, cogitate on things, right, Lindsay? Don't you think you should put together like music, make it available for people to learn? So here it is. Um, um, see if I can remember. Set your mind on things above. Not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear. With him in glory, with him in glory, set your mind on things above. Sing it with me. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ. In God, and when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear where? With Him in glory, with Him in glory. Set your mind on things above. What do you think? We need to set our mind on things above. And this is what it's saying. When you reverence Christ as Lord, you reverence Him, you give honor to Him, you worship Him. And when you're able to set your mind on things above, not on things on earth, then guess what? You have boldness, you have confidence. Why? Because your life is hidden with Christ. I mean, that's good enough, but it's in God. You've got this double buffer zone, and then you've got the Holy Spirit in you. It's like, whoa! And you have boldness and you have confidence and you're ready to give a reason for the hope that's in you. The other day I had a little guy in my office that he had not seemed very promising in one of the programs we were running. and So he, he was staying some additional days. And they scheduled him to, to see me. And I said, you know, what I remember from our visits is that you're not really interested in, in God or spiritual things. You know, we, we, we established that. Has anything changed? He goes, the only thing that's changed is all you people are very nice. And so you believe these things, but I don't. And I said, well, what would you say? He says, you know, in our last talk, you showed me how crazy it was to be an atheist, because that meant that I knew everything, and I I'm now an agnostic. Well, that's progress. How many think that's progress? <laughs> right? He says, okay, so you're like a, an agnostic. He goes, yeah, so I really don't know. I don't know. So I don't want to talk about it because I don't know about it. I said, okay. I'm going, what am I going to say to this guy? But uh, then I thought of Acts 17 where Paul went and talked to the people. He saw all their gods and, and he says, I noticed that you have. A statue to the unknown God. And that's what I want to talk about. I, I showed him that. I said, "Look, here Paul was talking to the, those who were agnostic about God. They didn't know. And then we started to study, and he goes, "You mean he started to ask, pretty soon, this guy who was supposedly not interested was asking me question after question after question. Isn't God good? And he began asking me, well, why is it, that? what difference does that make in your life? How does that give you hope? How does that give you confidence? Oh, man, it was, and then he says to me, he goes, I know our appointment's over, but could you stay a little longer? I said, of course. <laughs> I almost lost, I almost, I almost didn't make the plane trip down here. I'm like, yes, because finally there's this, this, breakthrough But, you know, we're surrounded by fellow workers. We're surrounded by people, sometimes people in our own family, that make us feel as though we shouldn't share the hope that is within us. Don't ever give in to that. Don't be afraid of them. When it says, but reverence God. (laughs) Reverence God. Sanctify the Lord. In your hearts, honor Christ as holy. In other words, reverence Him. You know, that comes from an Old Testament passage, and I want to show it to you. It's in Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah chapter 8. As I was looking at this text this morning, this uh, parallel text came to me. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 12 and 13. And I think this is so powerful. If, if I were you, I would turn to it. <laughs> I'm just telling you. I'm turning to it. I have it open now. I, how many are glad that God has texted us? Isaiah 8, verse 12. Do not say a conspiracy concerning all that this people call a conspiracy, nor be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. The Lord of hosts, him you shall hallow. In other words, him you shall reverence. You see where this comes from? Peter is referring to this thing. Let him be your fear, and let him be your dread. In other words, don't fear other things fear God hallow him You say wait a minute that sounds weird I'm supposed to be afraid of God That's not what it means Proverbs nineteen twenty three check me on this I don't know but I haven't written a song on it so I'm not sure Proverbs nineteen twenty three The fear of the Lord leads to life and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Say that with me. The fear of the Lord leads to what? And he who has it will abide in what? He will not be visited with what? How many want to enter the fear of the Lord? Fear God. Give him glory. The hour of his judgment has come. Right? Fear him. Give glory to him. Reverence him. Honor him. And you say, well, wait, what does that mean? Well, look what it says in verse, and don't go for every conspiracy. Oh, no, a conspiracy, verse 12. Oh, whoa. You know, there's people that live on that. I'm on the Internet today, and I just discovered that they're saying this, and they're saying that. And they get everybody all upset. How many of you notice these people? Oh, let's pray. I mean, I'm all for prayer. But it's like from one conspiracy to the next, from one trauma to the next. I call them uh, conspiracy junkies. Every time I meet them, it doesn't matter. Maybe a decade later, it's a new conspiracy. Man, that's no way to live. Uh, Ever tried to run your car by just putting carburetor fluid in? It'll go down the road, but it's going to blow up pretty soon. I'm not a mechanic, so maybe that didn't work. But I'm just saying... You can't be having this roller coaster ride. And notice what it says there in Isaiah. This is the antecedent to this this text in Peter. Don't say a conspiracy. Don't be afraid of their threats. Don't be troubled. The Lord of hosts, verse 13, him you shall howl. Let him be your fear, let him be your dread. And what will happen as a result, verse 14, he will be like a sanctuary for you. Can you say hallelujah? You're hidden with Christ in God. You're not afraid anymore. He's a sanctuary for you. Not only that. Verse 16. You'll be sealed and the law will be in your heart. And verse 17 (laughs) And I will wait on the Lord who hides his face from the house of Jacob. And I will hope in him. And not only that, not only will he be a sanctuary, not only will he seal us, not only will he feed us with the heritage of Jacob, but notice what it says verse 18. Finally, hear am I and the children whom the Lord has given me. We are for signs and wonders. When we fear God, when we reverence God, he promises us, that will enter into sanctuary with him. How many want to enter into sanctuary with him? He promises that he'll seal us. How many of you want to be sealed? And he promises us that he'll fill us with hope. The heritage of Jacob. How many want that? And then he says, because of that, you and your family will be signs of the times. You'll be a family of hope, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and with fear. So number one, live a questionable life. Number two, Know the reason for your hope. He he came, he died, he rose, he reigns, he's coming again. We revel then in trials. Number three, how do we get this hope? By reverencing Christ as Lord. By looking at what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do. And talking about it and singing about it and rejoicing in it. And then what can happen? Then you can help others, the text says, with meekness and fear. In other words, that fear of the Lord erases all your fears. And you're able to talk to others with the way the ESV says it, meekness and inferior. It says, in gentleness and with respect. I read that. I was like, whoa, that's what I need to be able to witness to others with gentleness and respect. Because Christ, who is my life, fills me with so, so much joy. I, I don't have to get defensive and thus offensive. I like how Second Timothy puts it. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be apt to teach. And the older I get, This is so beautiful. I see people all upset, and I go, well, let me, uh, could I give just maybe a little different perspective? I know what you're saying, but let me just give you some information that maybe, I don't know. It helped me, but I don't know if it'll help you. And then, apt to teach. In humility, I like how the King James says it. This is 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. How many of you know this from memory already? Whoa. Wait. And I don't see anybody writing the text down. You should write this down. The weakest ink is stronger than the strongest memory. Write it down. 2 Timothy 2, 24 to 26. The servant of the Lord must not... Folks, are we studying the word together? The servant of the Lord must not... quarrel, but be... Apt to... Teach. Let's say that again. The servant of the Lord must not... But be apt to... Does this mean just the minister? No, it's any servant of the Lord. Are you a servant of the Lord as a medical missionary? Are people going to open up to you that don't open up to a minister? A servant of the Lord, by well, what's a servant of the Lord? He does the will of God from the heart, Ephesians 6, 6, right? A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be apt to teach in humility Correcting those who oppose themselves. I love that text. Correcting those who oppose themselves. You're like, he's opposing himself. He's like smashing into himself. It makes no sense. You know, it's like this person's in trouble. They don't even know that they're opposing themselves. If God perhaps, God, not you, it's not your abilities, it's not your apologetic skills, it's God. If God perhaps will grant them what? What is repentance? Two words, metanos. Meta means like metamorphosis, a change of nos, of mind. A change of what? Repentance is a change of mind. In humility, correcting those, if God perhaps will grant them what? Repentance, that they might come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil who's taken them captive to do his will. I mean, how many of you have met people that are very well-meaning people, but what they're doing is a total disaster? They're totally ensnared in a thought or something else. And you've got to find a way, by God's grace, to humbly, with gentleness and with meekness, with gentleness, what did it say? gentleness and respect. Respect means to hear what they say, to maybe say it back, and in gentleness, meekness, and in fear, correct them. How many want to have that skill? I want to end with a story. And uh, I was working One night in an emergency room. A man came in. Uh, The hern went off. Hospital emergency radio network, or whatever that means. And they said, we're bringing this person in. We're going to take him to triage. And I was working triage that night. And he's... He's uh, he's he's cut up. He's he's going to have to you know have some work. But we just want to warn you because he's he's kind of in a bad bad way. And so we're taking him to triage because we know that Don McIntosh is at triage. And I was like, thank you very much for that confidence. And so the patient comes in. This guy was somewhat inebriated. But I believe he was being directed specifically by the devil because he was brilliant in what he said. He said to the registration clerk, you know, if I were you, if I was your husband or your boyfriend, I'd probably break up with you because of this and that. And he didn't realize it, but that's exactly what had happened that week. So she leaves in tears. Another person ridiculing them about some physical problems they had, which all of us knew they'd really struggled with that week. Pretty soon he had the entire emergency department, professionals I'd worked with for a long time, all upset. I mean, these were people that normally were very calm, and they had, like, smoke coming out of their ears and stuff coming out of their nose, and like "Ah," like this. They were all upset. The whole place was like, and so they said we're going to put this guy and then he started to become violent they restrained him they said we're going to put him in, this, in this, this room the most padded room there in the, in, in the department and then I heard them talking well, who are we going to send in there oh yeah we're going, to send, we're going to send Don McIntosh in there with him he's the one that brings his bible to work he's the one that's always talking and singing send him in there like to the lion's den, you know. And I'm like, "Oh Lord, this is bad." When well, I'm in there, and that guy's yelling. Now he's yelling obscenities. He's yelling at everyone. He's everyone's inflamed. And they take him in there, and they say, "You go in there with him." I was like, you know, I don't know if I have enough experience for th- Y'all get in there. Take your Bible. Took my Bible in there, and he's yelling, screaming, "Oh, they send you in here, you are some kind of little preacher boy? Have your Bible!" Ah, he's like, you know, fulminating, and I'm going, "You know, this is not about me, God. This is not about me. This is about you and your glory." I pray, I said, "God, please help." help, because this is not about me. This is about you, your truth, your church, your hope. It's not about me. And he's yelling, "Ah, yelling. And I said, you know, I really want to start working on your leg. We need to get that, you know, it's bleeding. You need to get some stitches in there. It's kind of dirty. We need to clean it out with some betadine and everything else and everything else. And then he was like, "He, he has nothing to do with it. You! And he's cussing and he's cursing. And I realized that I could not. And so I said, really, what we need to do is help you by cleaning up the wound. And then we'll do this. He's yelling. And I said, And then he goes to me, Why? (laughs) And we begin whispering to each other. Because it will get infected. Really? The people outside thought I had been killed. (laughs) They open the door, they come in. He starts yelling again, Yeah! I said, Would you guys please leave? Took me another five minutes, and pretty soon we're whispering to each other again. And I don't know what to say because. It says in Luke, don't try and meditate beforehand what you're going to say. Let God give you the words right then. Yes? It's not like you study up for these things. You don't do that. And then I didn't, I'm I'm talking to him, all of a sudden, I hear this come out of my, my lips. I don't know why it came out of my lips. You might question it as well. But he goes to me. And I had a question in my mind about that. (laughs) And I said this. I said these words. I said, because I want to be just like you. What did I say? I was like, what did I just say? He goes, what did you say? I said, because I want to be just like you. (laughs) And he goes, why? And I was like, God, you got me into this? Get me out of this. (laughs) And then God gave me this to say. He gave it to me. I said, because you understand the real conflicts and needs of everybody in this department. You have seen all the problems. You have accurately identified them. I want to be just like you. He goes, really? I said, not exactly. (laughs) Almost like you. He goes, what's the difference? I want to use the information a little differently. Can you say amen? Amen. We sewed him up. And he began coming back to visit me at the emergency room after he got out of jail. (laughs) But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you. In meekness. And with fear. With gentleness. And respect. Father in heaven, thank you today. That even though we were just as vile as the patient I described, and even more so. You came. You gave glory to your father. And every day you went out and you went to that quiet place and you reverenced your Father. Everything you said came from the Father, verily, verily. It all came from the Father. And you were able to give an answer for the hope that was in you. Help us to do the same. And we thank you and we come in Christ's name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse